Today's reading comes from Joshua 22. At the time Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoils of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to all of uh, the guests this morning. Uh, so grateful for the dedications that we saw at the beginning of our service. And just want to uh, re really reiterate some of the things that Chris said about Mother's Day. And first of all, how thankful uh, we all are, but I'm speaking now. I'm just so thankful for all of the mothers when I look out and see uh, in the crowd right now in this room, uh, all the great mothers that sacrifice and give themselves day in and day out, civilization builders, also cultural caretakers uh, in your home, at work, uh, in the community, in your neighborhood. And so I'm just so grateful and we want to acknowledge how grateful we all are for the mothers that are in this room this morning. Uh, but I'm, I'm old enough to know that uh, there's a mixture of emotions that can come with Mother's Day. Uh, and so there's no doubt that we celebrate and we're thankful for all the mothers and grandmothers that are in this room, whether that's biological mothers or adoptive mothers or mothers who are fostering children right now. I just wanna say thank you. And at the same time, uh, we can acknowledge that there's pain associated with this day in so many ways. And it's okay to acknowledge that those two things can coexist together. We're complex human beings, and so we can have those two emotions. But I know in a room like this, there, there are women who uh, have lost children. There are women who have wayward children, maybe wayward adult children. There, there are women and mothers in this room who adult children they haven't spoken to in quite some time who are empty nesters, and even that comes with a level of grief. This might be the first Mother's Day that you are experiencing without your own mom. 
You might be even uh, acknowledging the difficult relationship that you have with your own mother and the desires and the, and the longings that that relationship would be better. And so it's okay on Mother's Day to celebrate and be encouraged and see all the things the Lord is doing, the beautiful things he is doing in our mothers here in this room, and at the same time, go to him and plead with him to heal the, the places that are wounded, to heal uh, the broken places in our lives and the, and the things that have been painful. And when we think about mothers, today might bring some of those wounds or pains to the surface. And so what I want to acknowledge before all of you, uh, all of you women, all the women in this room who have the Holy Spirit in you, who are united to Jesus Christ, uh, one of the beautiful things that happens in the Gospels, in fact, you see it most prominently when Jesus on the cross looks at John, his disciple, and looks at his mother Mary and says, woman, your son. And then he says, son, your mother. You're all spiritual mothers. It doesn't matter what you have been through, ladies. Whether you have your own children or whether you do not, whether you long to have your, your own children, whether you long to have more children, whether you're single and desire marriage and family, it doesn't matter any of those things. You're a spiritual mother here in the family of God. You're spiritual mothers and aunts and sisters in this room, and I just want to acknowledge that before our good God today. So one of the things we want to do in the, in the effort to celebrate that reality is that on your way out, ladies, we're going to have a, a flower to hand to you, a carnation, a beautiful carnation that our own Nikki Hanley, uh, who is in the floral business, provided for us. And along with that flower, there's going to be a, a prayer uh, of encouragement for Mother's Day that our own Sawyer Taylor wrote for each of our ladies. So every woman, please leave this place later this morning with a flower and a card. Um, and that is our, our acknowledgement that we love the ladies here at City Church and are so thankful at the work that God is doing through each and every one of you. Uh, so in that spirit, let me pray, uh, not only for that, but for our time in Joshua this morning, and then we will uh, start the sermon, dig in here. Father, we are grateful for all the women here in this room that uh, represent you so well, uh, that your character, and in fact, that Jesus, you even described yourself as uh, a mothering hen wanting to gather up all her children. And so we see the beautiful image of God working out through our women here at City Church and even our guests who love you and have poured themselves out uh, over years and years in service to you and in loving their families. And so we just want to say thank you. And we, we want to acknowledge at the same time today that there are pitfalls and because of sin and sufferings in this world that this day might be a bit painful. And so if that's the case for any of the women in this room, any of us, we pray that you would help us to trust you, to know that you are the healer, you are the one who sees, the God who sees in all of our tribulation and all of our pain. And so it's to you we, we give our ultimate thanks. Father, I pray that you would help me in spirit, help me to uh, take your word, uh, your good word, and, and preach and speak of it faithfully, uh, that you would stir hearts to more and more affection and into Jesus Christ as we study your word together. And we ask all this in Christ's name, amen. 
Well, we are in the book of Joshua. We've been in the book of Joshua for the past several months. And uh, as we continue through, we only have two more weeks. And so uh, we're here at the tail end. And so this is a, a curious little story that we're going to get into here in Joshua 22. And let Liz read the first few verses of it. Uh, reminds me of what happened earlier this year. And you probably remember this as well. Back in January when uh, a Chinese spy balloon uh, was floating through U.S. airspace, and the uh, deemed appropriate response, because uh, that spy balloon, it was uh, discovered, was sending communication somehow back to China, the deemed right response of the U.S. government was to shoot that spy plane down. Uh, so we, we were probably quite aware of that. It made news for several days earlier this year. Maybe what you weren't as familiar with after that is that there were at least three more balloons in the subsequent days and weeks that were shot down. Uh, but it, it came to find out that every single one of those other balloons that were shot down were not Chinese spy balloons. In fact, they had no communication whatsoever toward China. Some of them were for weather activity. Some of them were unknown, but they knew that they were not belonging to China. Now, the reason for that aggressive response First, both initially, rightfully, to the Chinese uh, balloon that the U.S. shot down, and then subsequently to the other balloons, the reason that they were shot down is because of the perceived threat, right? And the perceived threat was, was there because of the actual threat that the Chinese spy balloon posed to our country. And so in a very similar way, in our little story here in Joshua 22, we're going to see Israel responding aggressively to a perceived threat because of recent actual threats to their well-being. Things that have happened in the book of Joshua, and if you've been with us through the entire study, you know some of those things that have happened that have been actual threats to Israel. In this story, they're thinking, oh no, here we go again. Uh, but what, what we actually see is, is that it wasn't a threat at all. So here's, here's my plan for this morning through chapter 22 of Joshua. I'm going to summarize a little bit what Liz just read to us, uh, the first 10 uh, verses of chapter 22. Uh, then I'm going to read through the rest of the chapter. I'm going to give us the main idea. And then I just want to think through two quick applications from this text, and then we'll be done. Okay? Sound fair? All right, now, remember back in chapter 1, we had these two and a half tribes of Israel that had been given land east of the Jordan. So we'll, I'll just, for simplicity's sake this morning, call them the eastern tribes. And so uh, we see these eastern tribes uh, come across with the western tribes, the other nine and a half tribes of Israel. Uh, Joshua tells them in chapter 1, please come over and help your brothers and sisters take this land. And so in chapter 1, we see them do that. Uh, we see them faithfully do that, and they were obedient to come over and help. And now, what we just heard here in chapter 22, as we get toward the end of Joshua, is that it's time for them to go back home. And so we see how Joshua commends them. He, he blesses them. He tells them that they have been obedient, just like he commanded them to be obedient in chapter 1. Now he's saying, you were obedient. Praise God. Let me bless you on the way back home. So, so far, so good, right? Uh, we see these faithful men and women go back over into their eastern tribes, into the east land east of the Jordan. And on their way back, 
we just heard that they build an altar by the Jordan of imposing size. Now, that's where we left off. Let me pick up in verse 11. I'm going to read through the rest of the chapter. It's a bit long. I just want to warn you up front, but I really think we have to hear this entire chapter to get what God wants to show us this morning and to understand exactly what's going on. So let's read here beginning in verse 11. And the people of Israel heard it and heard it said, behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourself an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we had not enough of the sin at Peor from which, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away from this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourself a possession among us. Only do not rebel, rebel against the Lord or make us rebels by building yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan... The son of Zerah break faith in the matter of the devoted things, and wrath fell upon the entire congregation of Israel, and he, not, he did not perish alone for his iniquity. So how are we feeling so far? Like, oh no, what's about to happen, right? Like all the glorious things that we just talked about over the past several weeks, and it seems like war is about to break out. Here's verse 21. Then the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. And let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today. For building an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or if we did if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord, so your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar 
Not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, and between our generations after us, that we do, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings, so your children will not say to our children in the time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, behold, The copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, offerings, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord that stands before his tabernacle. Verse 30. When Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the family of Israel who were with them, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the chiefs returned from the people of Reuben and people of Gad in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad call the altar witness. For, they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Anyone else been a part of a misunderstanding where your life was threatened immediately? Anyone? No? Me neither. That has never happened to me. So it's a curious little story, but let me give you the main idea, I think, of this passage and for our time this morning. Here's the main idea. True unity without true worship is not possible. True unity without true worship is simply not possible. Now, what what in the world is going on in this story? Uh, Well, what we see is that the western tribes of Israel have heard about this huge altar that the eastern tribes build, and they react immediately by uh, everyone assembling to go to war. They, they, they meet up and, and see this altar and say, we're going to war. And then, then they send a, representa- a representative from each of the tribes along with Phineas, who's a priest. They send a, a, basically an envoy over to the eastern tribes and basically say, what the heck are you doing? Like, wh- what in the world are you doing? And the, the, the reason is, and you probably picked up on this in the text, the fear was that these eastern tribes built an altar so that they would sacrifice to other gods. It was either that or the fact that they were going against the law by building another altar standing opposed to the true altar that was near the tabernacle. And and the tabernacle was not in the land east of the Jordan. It was in the land of Canaan, west of the Jordan. Now, if you read God's law back in Deuteronomy, uh, the punishment for breaking this law was death. And so that's why the people in the western tribes were gathered to make war against the eastern tribes. And you can see how alarmed they are. You can read it in the text. 
And they mentioned this sin at Peor, uh, which, which is actually uh, something that happened way back when in the wilderness, when 24,000 Israelites died because of a sin of worshiping a Moabite god. Of course, they mentioned Achan. And if you've been tracking with us here in Joshua, you remember Achan. Achan took the things devoted to destruction uh, from Jericho, and he and his family were killed. And in both of these instances, the fear was that the wrath of God was going to be on the entire congregation of Israel. And so, the western tribes were willing to fight for true worship. That's the first blank on your handout if you are taking notes. The first blank to fill in is the western tribes were willing to fight for true worship. They were prepared to put to the, to the sword this east, the eastern tribes of Israel because they thought that they were out to disobey God and worship gods of the land. Now, some, some people have read this story, and they, what they take away from the story is that, man, think about these rash Western tribe people. What in the world? I mean, they're getting all worked up real quick. But I don't think that's the lesson to take away. Because if you recall the different ways, including Achan, which the people of God have sinned already in the land of promise, They wanted to take this very seriously. And so actually, we should be encouraged that they were willing to take seriously the true worship of Yahweh. They were taking seriously faithful worship of God. So instead of winking or dismissing sin, they are actively engaged in wanting to root it out before God's anger burns against all of them. You see that? That they're very desirous to maintain true worship of God. But we know, because we just read the whole story, that in some ways it is a big misunderstanding. The eastern tribes are innocent of the charges laid against them. And you could see how these eastern tribes are are so passionate and, and eager to clear their name because they are immediately saying, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. That the, the mighty one God, the Lord, they say that twice just to worship him with their words to remind them that they are not doing what they are being accused of. They say that they built this altar because they wanted to make sure that the future generations of the eastern tribes would still have worship with the western tribes. That they would be able to look upon this altar and know that they too are part of Israel, even though they are on the other side of the Jordan. Even though there's this boundary, there's this river between the two tribes, uh, the, 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 the tribes, the nine and a half tribes in the west and the two and a half tribes in the east, even though there's a boundary, they would look at the altar and go, we're all one nation under Yahweh, there's the altar, we are all one. In fact, they they say that this altar uh, is not for sacrifices at all. It's just a witness. In fact, they call it the very end of this chapter. They name it witness. And so they're they're not going to sacrifice to other gods on this altar. They're not even going to sacrifice to Yahweh on this altar because the true altar is in the West. In fact, this is just a witness. The Eastern tribes build an altar to preserve true unity. 
The eastern tribes are concerned about true unity. So despite the geographical and maybe even cultural differences that no doubt took place on either side of the Jordan, they wanted to maintain the unity of God's people. And so what we see, thankfully, in this story at least, is that Phineas and the rest of the chiefs go back into the land of Canaan. They take this explanation that the eastern tribes have given them and they go back to the people of Israel who are ready to, to fight. They're, they're, they're ready to, to hear from them and, and get, the, get the word. It's like, are we going to war? And they come back and say, no, we're not going to war. It is good in their eyes. It was good in the eyes of Israel. And this story has a happy ending. Now, we could say this so many times as we've read the book of Joshua we wish that the story ended there, right? If the story truly ended there, this would be a happy ending, but we know that it does not end there. In fact, we only have to go one book over. I've said this a few times. Joshua, as glorious as, as it is, and in fact, in many ways, very positive story, you only have to go one book over to Judges, and it all falls apart. In fact, the next time that we see Phineas is in the book of Judges in the midst of a civil war in Israel. At the end of Judges, the tribe of Benjamin is slaughtered by the rest of Israel. Israel commits heinous acts of sin in the book of Judges. They worship idols. They're in bad shape. So I wish the story ended with Joshua 22 this morning. But because of sin, true unity will not last for the nation of Israel. True unity without true worship is not possible. And so that, that's the summary of what we, what we have here this morning. And so I want to take the rest of my time just to draw out a couple of application points for us. First, we, City Church, are a Reformed Baptist Acts 29 church. Most of you know that. If you don't, surprise. Uh, love to talk to you about that if you have any questions about what that means, but uh, that's a distinctive of this church. We're a Reformed Baptist church. But did you know that the kingdom of God is not a Reformed Baptist kingdom? It's neither a Presbyterian or Anglican kingdom. We've talked uh, a lot about the and the infighting and the tribalism that uh, the modern world features. It's just kind of the air that you breathe when you go out. It's, it's whose side are you on and who do you hate and what tribe do you belong to? And I'm afraid that it's even infested in a real negative, nasty way, the evangelical church. Maybe you've even uh, expressed this yourself or experienced this yourself. I'm confessing my own heart here. I'm confessing my own tendency to just uh, put my arms around my little, my little kingdom and, and, and protect it and lash out when I feel like it's threatened. But I want to ask, if we look around all the, all the churches, even if we just look around all the different churches here in Fort Worth, can we look at any church that is truly preaching the gospel? Can we look at any church that is truly holding to the essentials of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Churches who are, who are holding to the physical substitutionary atoning death of Jesus and his physical resurrection. 
Can we look at churches that are, are assertive that the scriptures are inerrant? Can we, can we look at churches that are, are preaching and teaching a biblical sexual ethic? Can we look at those churches and know that those are brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we do that? But Jeff, you don't know what they, they believe about the Holy Spirit. Have you heard about what they do during a worship service? Or have you heard the, the songs that that church sings on a Sunday morning? You know, that, that, that church, is they're, they're Wesleyans, that church. Friend, if, if they are truly worshiping the God of the Bible, there can be true unity. In fact, not only can there be true unity, there is true unity in Jesus Christ. It's just up to us to acknowledge that and to live out of that reality. Now, the differences that we have with those other churches, they, they certainly matter. I don't want to, at all to, to not speak of second or third order issues in the church. They're very important. They're very much worthy of discussions. Uh, Chris and I are elders of this church. They matter a great deal as we want to protect the, the distinctives and doctrines of our particular church here at City Church, we, we want to protect and defend and even advocate for the way we do church, the way we think about baptism, uh, the, the way we see church polity put together. Those things are important. But my point in, in this discussion is that we have to find the right hills to die on. We must find the right hills to die on when it comes to the big C church. In this story that we read in Joshua 22, the western tribes are geographically separated from the eastern tribes. There's no way around that. They didn't, they didn't feel, the western tribes didn't feel a need, at least according to this text, to build any type of monument. Their friends are going back to the east. The western tribes don't see any need to build any type of altar, but the eastern tribes did. And at the end of the day, they're both engaged in worshiping in truth the one and true God of the universe. They were truly a united nation. And so that we want to celebrate. Now, here's my second application for us today. There really are hills to die on. There really are hills to die on. A false gospel and false worship makes true unity impossible. Can I tell you, um, in studying this text this week, there is one prominent thing that really confuses me. It's actually, I've, I've, and I've read through some of the commentaries that I looked at and I couldn't really find uh, any, any of this addressed or, or explained in, in a way that satisfied me at least. Can I tell you what puzzles me from this story? Why did the eastern tribes build an altar? If you if you've, uh, remember in the book of Joshua, uh, we've had several monuments built We've had several stones stacked in, in memorials or, or witnesses or uh, for future generations to remember what happens here. We had one when they crossed over into the Jordan in the first place in chapter 4. And after Achan died, there was a stack of stones there. And there was a stack of stones after Ai was defeated. But why an altar? This is the first stack of stones that's an altar. 
And in the Bible, up to this point, every time an altar has been built, this is not the first altar built, but every time an altar has been built up to this point, there have been sacrifices on it because that's what an altar is for, right? Like when you build an altar, you sacrifice something on it. So my question in this text, I'm a little perplexed because why make something that is used and known for sacrificing and not use it to sacrifice? It would, it would be like, uh, I thought of this week, it would be like uh, if I decided to build a huge water slide in the middle of downtown Fort Worth with, with water all around it and with water pumping up into the water slide, huge, beautiful water slide in the middle of Fort Worth. And then families and children start lining up to go down the water slide and, and, I, and I say, no, 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 this this is not a water slide for you to use. This is simply a water slide uh, to look at. And, and it actually is a witness to the greatness of Hurricane Harbor. Like, that's why I built this water slide, so you can know how great Hurricane Harbor is. But you're not going to use it. Just look at it and think about that. Now, I, I do believe that the eastern tribes were sincere so uh, the text doesn't indicate anything to us that, that they were doing this uh, to subvert or, or, or untoward means. In fact, their explanation is very passionate, as we've already talked about. I really do think that they were sincere, that they just wanted to build an altar as a witness, not for sacrifices. But my question is, is there truly such a thing as a non-sacrificing altar? Is there truly a thing? Whether you know it or not, there's a practice of displaying huge altars into the sky today. I don't know if you knew that, thought about it. We continue to see huge altars built up into the sky, towering above the city today. You find them atop almost every church. If, if they're not on top, maybe they're just alongside the building. The altar that we see raised above churches today is the cross of Jesus Christ. Not an altar built of stone, but a wooden cross. But friends, the wooden cross is the only place where sacrifice and witness come together for the Christian. You see, the, the eastern tribes say, no sacrifices on this altar. No, no, no. This is a witness only. It's not pointing to a sacrifice. But I would say that you can't say with any integrity that the cross is only a witness and not also point to sacrifice. In other words, there is no such thing as a sacrifice-less cross. And yet, how many churches in Fort Worth display the cross on their steeple but then deny it of any sacrifice? No, 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 this, this, cross is a, this cross is a witness. This cross is just a witness to a loving God, uh, which is pointing to a loving and accepting people of, of everyone, regardless of your choices. This is the cross as a witness. But if you remove Christ dying for sins from the cross, it's not the cross. The cross is about witness and sacrifice. 
It's Christ being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And it's us as his followers taking up our cross and putting to death the deeds and desires of the flesh. It's a witness. It's a witness to the true gospel that saves sinners. Christ's body was ripped apart on the cross so that we as his body could be stitched together in unity. True unity within the church of God is born out of our union with Christ. And so true unity without that true worship is not possible. And so there is a hill to die on. There is a hill to die on. The western tribes were certainly ready to die on that hill. They were ready to die on the hill of true worship. And we, as the people of God in 2023, we should courageously and yet winsomely proclaim the true worship of Jesus Christ. What that true worship is. And be willing to lovingly warn about the false worship of so many churches that try to scrub the blood off of the cross of Christ. You can't scrub the blood off the cross. Now, how might we respond? What are we called to do? How might we respond to those who are caught up in a type of false worship, in a sacrifice-less cross, who are choosing to believe or even preach a false gospel. Look again at verse 19 with me. As we close, I want to consider this with you. If you look at verse 19, I'm going to read it. Listen for the grace that is extended here. Okay, this is the Western tribe speaking. And they say to the eastern tribes, but now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. You hear the grace in that? You hear the invitation in that? Essentially, the western tribes are offering the grace of God to the eastern tribes to move from a place of rebellion. Move out of that place. If it's causing you to sin, if, if you're caught up in worshiping false gods, if you're tempted to sin, come over to us. Come over to the land of the Lord. Move from a place of rebellion to a place of rest. If where you are is so overrun with idolatry and false worship, come over. Come over to where we are. And friends, this is the invitation to those around us blinded by sin. Those who are held captive by false, teach, by false teaching, the invitation is to come. Come over here where the true altar is, where the tabernacle, the temple is. People of God, come over and we don't say that out of haughtiness. We don't say that out of pride. We say that out of humility because we would say we were there with you. 
We were in that land with you, worshiping false gods. We were there with you, scrubbing the blood off of the cross. We were there looking at just a witness and not sacrifice. But now we say, come, come over to where we are. Not because of us, but because of the God who found us and saved us. Just like you, we were searching for meaning and purpose and grappling for a higher power, and we found it in God. We found it in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who saved us on an altar of sacrifice and witness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ, for the altar that is pointing to the ultimate sacrifice the all-sufficient sacrifice of the Lamb of God on our behalf, the Lamb that took away our sins. And so we say hallelujah for the cross this morning. The cross, may we never take that sacrifice away from it. In fact, it is possible to do so, impossible to do what you have done for us. And so we, we pray that we would never look at the cross, we would never uh, point people to the cross and take away a sacrifice. May we never just point to the cross and say, that's just a witness. It's a sacrifice and a witness. And may we be a people who look around us in, in Fort Worth, in our neighborhoods, in the other churches that no doubt my friends who are here this morning are coming from and those that we know friends and neighbors are attending and where they are worshiping you in a true heart this morning, where they are proclaiming the good true news of the gospel. May we count them as brothers and sisters and may we link arms with them and say hallelujah. We are one. We are united in Christ, and to those who are willing to take away the sacrifice from the cross, those who are not preaching the true gospel, those who are walking in sin, may we, may we call to them, come. Come over to the land of the Lord. May you find life here. May you find true worship here. Life to the full. Love overflowing. All because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.